Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, for your applicatory sermon this evening, we consider what is probably one of the most well-known passages in the book of Romans. And that's saying something when you think about what the book of Romans is. The book in the New Testament that most thoroughly expounds the glorious doctrines of grace. And we are very familiar with these couple of verses in this book. Two verses that very much speak to an applicatory sermon. There is a certain, we can say, power and practicality to Romans 12, 1 and 2. The power of these verses is that they show to us that the whole of our life must be that of worship to God. We're going to come to see that in the sermon tonight. And there's nothing better to walk away with from the Lord's Supper than that. To walk away from that tonight with the resolve that the whole of my life and the whole of my existence has as its main purpose to serve and worship Jehovah God. And the practicality of Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, as we'll see in light of the rest of the chapter, is that it speaks to our everyday life. This is what it means to be a Christian. To know the Gospel. To know what you experience this morning in the preaching, as you do every week, and in the sacrament itself. And to say in response to that, this is what it means for my life. I offer my body as a living sacrifice to God. Let's consider these verses under the theme, Present Your Bodies a Living Sacrifice. And what we're going to do is look at, in the first place, the basis of that. In the second place, the meaning specifically of that main word of the text, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. And then in the third place, we will look at the manner in which that is done. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, the basis, the meaning, and the manner. Beloved, there are three very distinct ideas expressed in these two verses. And the three distinct ideas are reflected in the three points of the sermon. The the, the heart of the passage is what the theme is. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. But then there are these two other ideas expressed in the passage. There is the manner of that. That's verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then in addition to that, there is the basis, the foundation, the ground out of which this calling to present our bodies a living sacrifice comes. And that's the opening words of the text. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now, normally, when you have a passage like this, the way to explain it is to explain the main idea first present your body as a living sacrifice, and then after that, say, this is what it's based upon. That opening phrase of the text. And that's entirely the right way to explain a passage like this. But I'd like to do it a bit differently tonight. 
What I'd like to do tonight is start with the basis. And to do that so that what we begin with tonight is right there in the front of our minds throughout the entirety of the passage as it is explained. So that we don't forget what stands behind this all. So that every point when we're explaining what it means to offer our bodies a living sacrifice to God, right there with it, is what stands behind this. The basis. And there's value in that. There's value in always remembering what it is that drives us to hear the calling of this text to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. And so what we begin with tonight is the opening words of Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He uses the word therefore. Therefore, by the mercies of God, I beseech you. And the idea of that is, Because of this, because of the mercies of God, through the mercies of God, or in view of the mercies of God, I beseech you, I call you to offer your bodies a living sacrifice of praise to God. The idea is that the mercies of God stands as that which, if you understand them, will lead you to then offer your bodies a living sacrifice of praise. We know that Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 marks the beginning of the second part of the book of Romans. We're familiar with the main division of the epistle as a whole. And The second part of the book of Romans, we often say, is more practical in nature. It's more practical because let's never think that the first part of the book of Romans is not practical. It's very practical. When Paul explains depravity in Romans 1, 2, and 3, that is very practical to understanding who we are by nature. When he says in Romans 5 verse 1, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. There's nothing more practical than that. When Paul explains the the, the struggle of the Christian in Romans 7 between the old man and the new man, we read that and say, that's my life every single day. It's very practical. But we do recognize a difference. It's more concrete. It's more speaking to the everyday reality of the Christian when we come to Romans 12 and following. And prior to that, it's more doctrinal and thorough in its doctrinal explanation of the doctrines of grace. And so, it's proper to say, Romans 12 marks the beginning of the second half of the book. And so when Paul says, At the beginning of Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that phrase, mercies of God, stands as a one-phrase summary of the entire book of Romans that has come before it. Romans 1 through 11 
is an explanation, we can say, of what he says here in verse 1, the mercies of God. The mercies of God are God's astounding, saving works to take a people unworthy and undeserving and lift them up unto himself and bring them unto himself in covenant fellowship through the work of Jesus Christ. It's noteworthy that when Paul writes this, he uses the plural, mercies. Because when you read Romans 1 through 11, you have all of these different aspects of God's amazing, saving works on display and explained. And they're all of God. Every last one of them comes to us from the hand of God in His grace. And so by that opening phrase, the Apostle is summarizing all of what he wrote before it and saying, in light of that, now this. And the now this is what we're going to come to in the second point of the sermon. But let's just stop and reflect a little bit upon those mercies of God. By taking a broad overview of Romans 1-11. through So that we have right in the front of our minds the amazing, saving works of God in Jesus Christ. Where does the book of Romans begin? It begins in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And those chapters set forth the terrible depravity of man. Because if you're going to understand how great the gospel is, you need to know how bad it was. And Paul explains that very clearly. No one does good by nature. As our catechism explains so clearly, by nature we are wholly incapable of doing any good and inclined to all evil. And what that means is that what we deserve is death. And God is entirely righteous and entirely just if that were the end for every single one of us. That's where it starts. Because that over there paves the way for us to see all of the glorious mercies of God in Jesus Christ. And so it starts right after that with the mercies of God revealed in justification. That we stand before a righteous and holy God And legally, as we stand before Him by nature, we are guilty and worthy of condemnation. And God comes to us in the Gospel and He says, I've given you Christ. And this is who the Christ of the Gospel is. He's the one who has come to fulfill God's will. Obeying the law in every aspect perfectly. And He's the one who went to the cross of Calvary atoning perfectly for all the sins of His people. So that in Jesus Christ is righteousness. And God says, this is justification. I impute that righteousness to you. So that when I look at you, I say in declaration of your standing before me, righteous, innocent, worthy therefore, 
of everlasting life with me. And beautifully in those chapters, because it's all in Christ, it's therefore by faith alone. Not as though the faith makes me worthy of that justification, but faith, that only instrument by which I receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Mercies of God. The mercies of God in justification. And then he continues, lest anyone think that justification is of God and sanctification is of man. He goes on in Romans 6 and following to explain the glorious truth of God's saving work to sanctify. Because when He justifies, He also breaks us free from the bondage of sin by the Spirit working in us and takes a corrupt people and makes them holy so that with the life of Christ, we are able to live unto God. An astounding, merciful work in Jesus to make us holy in sanctification. And then after that, in the beginning of the book of Romans, in the first part of it, it goes on to explain that there's something that stands all behind this. And it's something that reveals God's mercy to an undeserving people. And that is the fact that God has predestined in election, in Christ, this people that He would save. Not because He looked ahead and said, oh, there's going to be something in them that makes them worthy. But He says in eternity, these are those whom I set my love on. In Jesus Christ. And these are those that I will draw unto myself, justifying them and sanctifying them. And if it's rooted in election, it's going to come to its final culmination. And so in these chapters, we have the glorious truth of God's mercy to preserve. Because at the end of Romans 8, we have that glorious confession of the apostle who can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Nothing. Bird's eye view, that's all it is. To give the impression tonight of just how amazing the mercies of God are. And that's the point of this, beloved. The point is that you need to know it. So that this morning when you were celebrating the Lord's Supper and as you were hearing the Gospel, it's not you're just seeing some bread and some wine and just hearing some words. And tonight, it's not just that, but you're hearing these things and you're seeing those things and the Lord is working in you and you are saying in response to this, this is the most amazing thing in all of the world. The mercies of God in Jesus Christ to me, an undeserving, guilty sinner worthy of death. So that we're led, truly led, to say what the Apostle does at the end of chapter 11. For of Him, and through Him, and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Because when you know it, when you know it by faith, in the fullness of what it is, and when you say truly, 
of him. To him and through him are all things. It's that very truth that leads you to read Romans 12 verse 1 and say, absolutely. If this is who God is, and this is what he has done in Jesus Christ for me, an unworthy sinner, and all glory goes to him, then we hear, offer your body a living sacrifice, and you say in response to that, yes, absolutely, yes, he is worthy of the entirety of my life as I think about what he has done for me by his great mercy. That's the point of starting with the basis. So that that truth is right there in the front of our minds as we go on to explain the remainder of the truth of this text. And what I just explained is captured also with what we read at the end of verse 1, which says, which is your reasonable service. A phrase that has generated a lot of slightly differing interpretations, partly because that word reasonable is only used a time or two in the New Testament. One of the ways rightly to explain this, I believe, is that it's our reasonable service, according to logic, literally, very simply because it makes sense. This makes sense in light of what we have explained. If everything we've explained so far in the first point is true, and it is undoubtedly true, God in His mercies showering upon us what we don't deserve, bringing us to the highest of highs with life for themselves through Jesus Christ. If that is true, this is the only thing that makes sense. It's the most reasonable thing to conclude from it in all of the world. That I and you, the objects of these mercies of God, owe to Him everything. And that's the truth of our text. When it talks about offering our bodies as living sacrifice, the point is that you and I in our lives owe everything to God. It truly is our reasonable service. Understanding that beginning of the passage, now let's go on and explain the main idea. And the main idea is, verse 1, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. What the Apostle Paul is doing here is he's using Old Testament language and applying it to the New Testament Christian. The Old Testament language and concept is that of a sacrifice. The readers of this would have understood that well. We understand it well, not because we lived in the Old Testament, but because we read and understand the Old Testament. Sacrifice is an Old Testament concept and reality. And the Apostle takes that Old Testament idea of sacrifice and applies it to the New Testament Christian. 
It's not the only place in which that is done in the New Testament. Another example of that is in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. 1 Peter 2, verse 5, Ye also as living stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So Peter in his epistle does the exact same thing, describing the sacrifices as we just read as spiritual sacrifices. The fact that Paul uses the Old Testament concept of a sacrifice means a couple of things. It means in the first place that what is described in the passage, offering your bodies, is the activity of worship. Regardless of what you may otherwise say about sacrifices in the Old Testament. They were always this. They were always the conscious activity of the worship of God. And so Paul is training our minds here to think about our lives as worship. As that which is praise to God. And as we will see in light of what he says, it's not just at particular times, but the whole of our life. There are, of course, particular times of special worship. It's what we're doing right now. The corporate public worship of God on the Lord's Day. It's what you do in your families. When you open up the Scriptures, you meditate upon them, you talk about them, You pray to God. You sing together as a family. Family worship. There are those times privately when we meditate upon the Scriptures and when we talk with God in prayer and maybe even sing privately. Private worship. And those are all special times of worship. But Paul is saying here, To think about the whole of our life as worship. Because that's what it is. That's what it must be. And the other proof of that, not just in the word sacrifice, but is found in the word service at the end of verse 1. That word service at the end of verse 1 really is the word in the New Testament for worship. By using the concept of sacrifice, our minds are led to think about the whole of our life as worship. The second thing that the sacrifice calls our attention to is that this is our gratitude that we offer unto God. There were different types of sacrifices in the Old Testament. Some of those sacrifices were offered to God for the purpose of the covering of sin, the guilt offering, or the trespass offering. That's not what he has in view here, of course. The idea is not that we offer our bodies in order to atone for our sins. Of course not. We remember the basis and we know the Gospel. That's all in Christ. But there was in the Old Testament the thank offering. The activity of worship in sacrifice that was 
given for the purpose of expressing gratitude to God for who He is and what He has done for us. And that clearly is the idea here. Understanding the mercies of God, sacrifice, worship, and in that worship, gratitude to God for who He is and what He has done in Christ. What it is that we are to sacrifice, Paul says, is our bodies. That ye present your bodies a sacrifice. And so we're faced with the interesting question of why Paul, inspired by the Spirit, was led to use the word bodies. Body there is the normal word for our body. In distinction from the immaterial soul of a person. Now some, when they hear the word body there, quickly go to the explanation that body represents the whole of who I am. And undoubtedly, there's truth to that. And we'll even see that in verse 2, when we connect the mind and the body based upon what he says. But Let's not go too quickly to that idea and just write off the idea of body and say it represents the whole of who we are. But to stop and to say, is there anything significant about the fact that of everything that he could say, he uses the word body, referring to the physical part of who we are. And we can say a couple of things about that. On the one hand, it calls attention, generally speaking, to the importance of the body in the life of the Christian. Let us never think that the body is not important. It's incredibly important. That's who you are. That's how God created man. Who man is, is soul and body. We know so well the language of Lord's Day 1. That the Lord Jesus Christ redeemed us in soul and body. So important that that body, as we know, goes to the grave. But that body, that very body, must be saved and is resurrected. Like Christ's body, and in that body will live into all eternity in the new heaven and new earth. Until that time that that body goes in the grave, the Scriptures tell us that these bodies are the very dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. The point of this is to say that the body is incredibly important. And by using the word body, the Apostle is calling calling attention to that. The significance of the body in the life of the Christian. And then added to that, on the other hand, is this, that by using the word body, we are reminded of how practical and tangible serving God is in our life. This is not to say that there is not importance in the heart. The heart is incredibly important. Out of the heart are the issues of life. From the heart comes what we do in our bodies. But it's to emphasize that what we do in our bodies is incredibly important. This is how God created us. We're 
people with bodies. We live in a world, an earth. We interact in this world and earth with our bodies. And how we do that is part of serving God in our sacrifice of praise. It's the concrete reality that it matters what these eyes look at and don't look at. It matters what these ears hear and don't hear. It matters what this mouth says and will never say. It matters what these hands do. It matters where these feet will take me or not take me. It is incredibly important how the sexual organs that God has given us are used or not used. We serve God from our hearts, yes, but as it comes through in our bodies. And so we think very carefully about the service of God in our bodies, what we do, what we do not do, as that is part of what it means to be a Christian who offers themselves to God in a sacrifice of praise. The apostle in the passage describes the nature of this sacrifice of our bodies. He describes it with three distinct terms. Take note of the three distinct terms. The first is it's a living sacrifice. And then further describing it, it's a holy sacrifice. And then further describing it, it's an acceptable sacrifice unto God. Let's go through those three. And we're going to start with the most important one. It's the one that's directly attached to the word sacrifice. It's the one that receives the emphasis in the original of this text. And that is that it's a living sacrifice. And the other two will be briefer. Paul says, describing the sacrifice of our bodies, that it's a living sacrifice. What that means, this is obvious, but... We state it nonetheless. What it means is that we are offering not something that is dead or inanimate, just to contrast it briefly with the nature of an Old Testament sacrifice. You bring a, an animal and offer it. A, you kill that animal and offer it unto God. Or you bring an immaterial or inanimate object like food or part of the harvest and you offer it to God in distinction from that the sacrifice is a living sacrifice but more importantly are these next couple of points it's a living sacrifice because it's a sacrifice that we offer to God on account of the newness of life that God has worked in us the reason that you and I as Christians go forth offering our bodies in this way to God is only because God by His Spirit has worked in us the life of Christ, that life of Christ being the very Spirit that dwells within us. I'm not going to go to it right now, but this is Romans 6. And a theme of Romans 6 is living. The living is the Spirit who dwells within us. And that is 
why the nature of our sacrifice to God is a living sacrifice. We are new creatures with a new life. And out of that new life we live. And in that living we offer our whole life to God in the service of His name. Now when we understand that, we realize very quickly that I cannot do this of myself. And it puts us on our knees in dependence upon God that He would so work in us so that we offer our life in service to Him. And there's one other thing that we can draw from what it means that it's a living sacrifice. That it's a living sacrifice means that this is part of our everyday life in all that we do. It's ongoing. And this is just further emphasizing what has hopefully been an idea that's been threaded through the entirety of the sermon so far. And that is that we're dealing with an all-comprehensive view of our life. And it comes through in this. Living sacrifice means it's part of the life that we live at all times and all that we do. It's not like the sacrifices of the Old Testament. They'd bring a sacrifice. In a moment, it would be done. And then they would go on their life. And then at another time, they'd bring a sacrifice. And it would be done. And then they would go on in their life. And they would do it again. But here, the nature of your sacrifice and mine to God is that it's living. And what we draw from that is that we need to be thinking about our lives in this way. It's the sacrifice I offer to Him on Sunday when I'm in the house of God for worship. And on Monday, when I go to school tomorrow as a student and stay in the home as a mother or go to work in this world. It's the sacrifice I offer to God during Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night. And especially on Friday night and Saturday night when we're out with our friends in our times of leisure and recreation. It's the sacrifice I offer to God in the normal weeks of my life and in the vacation weeks so that I don't think when I have a vacation week, now I just cash out. And to cash out is to say, I don't care about my Christian life. No, I even approach that What is this week of vacation in light of the Scriptures and how God uses it to help me and to lead me in living my life as a sacrifice of praise to Him? It's the sacrifice of praise that I live when I'm with my parents in their home and when I'm on my phone in their presence and when I'm in my car by myself or with my friends without a parent around in a park. You get the point. It never goes away. And of course, what we just described there is incredibly humbling and sobering because we all hear that. And certainly one of our responses is, oh, how we fail And how so much of our life is not what we just described. And then 
What do we do? What do we do is we remember the first part of the sermon, the mercies of God. And that is the mercies of God, that He is abounding in His mercies to us and never casts us away and renews us in our understanding of how gracious He is so that it leads us again as it does tonight and through the sacrament to say, yes, now I'm resolved to live my life to God. Living sacrifice. Number two, holy sacrifice. Calling attention to the fact that the nature of our sacrifice to Him is that it's consecration to God. I have a feeling, I don't know for sure, that that idea was expressed in the sermon this morning. That holiness is not just separation from that which is sinful, but in its essence, holiness is to God, consecration to God. And that fits, of course, with everything we've said so far in the sermon. And then, acceptable unto God. The sacrifice that we offer to Him is acceptable to Him. He receives it. He's well pleased with it. What an encouragement that is. That when God by His Spirit works in us the newness of life and when we hear the Gospel and know the Gospel and strive to live to the glory of His name, God is well pleased with that. It's still, it's still tainted with sin. But what does He do with all of that corruption and that tainting with sin? He covers it in the blood of Jesus Christ. Acceptable unto God in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the nature of the sacrifice that we offer to God. Living, holy, and acceptable. Now we conclude the sermon tonight by looking at the manner in which this is done. The manner, how we go forth doing this, is found in verse 2 when he says, "...and be not conformed to this world." But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is the manner, and it's two-sided. There's a negative, not this way, and there's a positive, but this way. And we start with the negative. The negative is be not conformed to this world. If we are going to offer ourselves sacrifices to God, we must not, cannot be conformed to this world. Conformed. Shaped in the pattern of. Squeezed into the mold of. This world. Most literally there, this age. There's this age. And there's an age to come. This present age in which we are living in distinction from the age to come when Jesus comes again and ushers in the new heaven and new earth. And God says here, don't be patterned after this age. Now what is true of this age so that we get an understanding of what it means not to be conformed to it? There's a lot that could be said about that. How about these two things that we can fixate on tonight? Number one, this age is temporal. 
just by calling attention to that distinction between this age and that age, calls attention to this fundamental truth about this age. It's temporal. It's for a moment. It's not going to last like this forever. And if you don't know that, if you don't live in the conscious of that, it's going to change everything you think and everything you do in your life here on this earth. And we can say a second thing about this age. It's an evil age. That's the way in which Galatians 1 verse 4 describes this age. This present evil age. It's wicked, dreadfully perverse. And obviously when you hear that, there's all sorts of stuff that you could point to. All of the most egregious forms of wickedness and vileness as you read it in the paper and see it on the internet and simply know that is out there in the world today. But think about a little bit more subtle wickedness and evil of this age. And that's the the thinking of this age, the ideology of this age, the mindset of this present age, especially in this one way, that it is so selfish and so self-seeking. Our young people, our children growing up in this age need to hear this and be reminded of this by our parents All the time. Because everything this world is shouting at you is saying, this life is about you. It's about doing what you want to do. It's about being who you want to be. And don't let anyone ever be able to tell you, you can't do what you want to do and be who you want to be. The whole mindset of this age is me, me, me. And the reason that I call attention to this is that it stands in antithesis to the main point of the text. Everything we've said in the text so far says, God, God, God. This is what my life is about. God in serving Him. And this age in everything that it shouts at us says, no, it's about me, me, me. And Paul says here, inspired by the Spirit, don't be patterned after this age. Don't forget that this age is temporal. Because if you forget that, you think this is the be-all and end-all, the point of your life is to live it up and do everything you want to. No, see beyond This age that's temporal. See the age to come. Live in light of the eternal realities as that influences the way that you think about your life on this earth. And the evil of it. The evil of it. Don't be patterned after the evil of this present age. That's the negative. And in starkest contrast to that, there is the positive. The positive as to how we present our bodies a living sacrifice is that we are to be transformed 
by the renewing of our mind, that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Not conformed to this world, but transformed. We need to be changed. It's the same word used to describe Jesus' transfiguration. He was changed for a moment. The disciples saw Him differently. Saw Him in the glory that would be His when He ascended to God's right hand. It's the Greek word from which the English metamorphosis comes. To change. To be transformed. This is what God does to us. There's a transforming all of our life long as we are shaped more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, Romans 8, 28 and 29. And that transforming takes place by the renewing of your mind. The Spirit works in the mind of the believer. The mind which needs to be confronted with the Word of God and the truth of God and think the thoughts of God and keep from that mind that which is opposed to God. And the Spirit works through that Word in the preaching and in our everyday life so that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. A difficult phrase in the text Prove the idea of testing, examining to know with certainty something. So that the idea, I believe, is that when the Spirit renews our mind through that, we know with a certainty what is the good and the perfect and acceptable will of God. And knowing that, then we live. Going back to the main idea of the text. Presenting our bodies as living sacrifices to Him. This is the framework for what it means to live as sacrifices of praise. Constantly, don't be conformed. And constantly, the Spirit's renewal of our minds so that we know what God's will is and we then walk to the glory of His name. And then what we have here in Romans 12, 1 and 2 really is the summary of everything that comes after it in the rest of the book. You can think about this framework in light of what comes after it. Immediately after it, verse 3 for example, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. How important is that? Don't be conformed to this world. We think about this world. What's true of this world? Well, we just said it. This world is all about me. Think about yourself. And undoubtedly, when that's the emphasis, it's the elevation of self. It's pride. Don't be conformed to that. Renewed mind by the Spirit. As the Spirit works the Word in our mind, what are we confronted with all the time? We're confronted with God. And when we're confronted with God, we're confronted with who we are. And we know as the Spirit renews our mind, I'm a sinner. Nothing but a sinner 
who stands before a holy God. And what is the fruit of that? We know that this is what it means to serve God. Humility. Never, ever to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Because when you have the constant reality of God in your mind, and the constant reality of who I truly am as a sinner, don't we dare Look at somebody else and say, ha, I'm better than you. And that humility, the humility of the Christian drives the main point of Romans 12 to offer our bodies a sacrifice of praise to Him. Verse 4 through 8, we have many members in one body. All members have not the same office. And the main point here is to use the gifts God has given you to serve the body. Same thing. Don't be conformed to this world. Well, what does the world say? The world says this. You have gifts? Use those gifts to serve yourself, to get ahead in life, so that you can do what you want. Don't be conformed to that. Instead, transform by the renewing of your mind constantly the Word of God before us, constantly the Gospel, the mercies of Christ, and then we think, gifts. Not that, but this. We're part of a body. How do I use my gifts that God has given me to serve Him? A husband to a wife. A wife to a husband. Parents to children. Children, youth, to parents. To grandparents. Gifts in the organic life of the church. That's my offering of sacrifice in my body to God. You see how the framework leads us and guides us to show us what it means to serve our God in the whole of our life. This is the truth for you in light of the Lord's Supper this morning. The main idea is clear. Offer your bodies living sacrifices to God. You know how to do it. Thinking about verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world transformed by the renewing of your mind. And don't ever Forget what stands behind this, and not just stands behind it, but drives it all. The astounding, awesome mercies of God. And in light of that, each in our own path, we live in this week. We live as Christians. We live not to serve ourselves, but we live out of love and thanks to this God of great mercy. Amen. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for thy word of truth. We're thankful for the gospel. We know that we fall short every single day. And thou art a God of mercy every single day. And knowing that mercy every single day, we pray that we might live such that we offer our bodies sacrifices of praise to Thee. Go with us now in this night and in this week to come. For Jesus' sake, Amen.